Good afternoon and welcome to Living Permaculture on KDNK. I'm your host, Vanessa Harmony of Colorado Edible Forest Plant Nursery at Rivendell Farms in Spring Valley of Glenwood Springs. I'm joined by my co-host, Jerome Osentowski of Central Rocky Mountain Permaculture Institute, which I'll refer to as Crimpy, located in Basalt. On today's program and next month's program, we're featuring two contributors to Crimpy. Our first guest is Jackie Skripnik of Cochrane, Alberta, who volunteered at Crimpy for two weeks in October. Jackie is a freelance writer, owner-operator of a tiny house, Bed and Breakfast, and co-founder and former president and former board member of an organization called Cultivate Cochrane, a nonprofit society that empowers people to grow their own food through demonstration and education, with an emphasis on greenhouse infrastructure to extend the growing season, which is very important in Alberta, as well as Colorado. We'll discuss Jackie's work in Alberta, as well as her participation at Crimpy in an exciting project, building a zero-waste, zero-dollar garden bed expansion. Our second guest is Matthew Davis, a landscape architect with over 30 years of ecological design and site planning experience, a former environmental design professor at University of Colorado in Boulder, and now the executive director of Central Rocky Mountain Permaculture Institute. We'll discuss Matt's background and learn how he'll be leveraging his skills and experience at Crimpy. Matt is joining us in person in the studio today, and Jackie is joining us virtually via Zoom. Jackie and Matt, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks very much. Well, Jackie, let's start by discussing your past work with Cultivate Cochrane, which has the goal to create a passive solar community greenhouse hub as a solutions-based center for learning and connecting around food. The organization envisions a community learning hub to hold events and workshops, partner with local restaurants or breweries or schools, and help people bring food-growing solutions to their own yards. To quote from the Cultivate Cochrane website, our wish is to create a green center that honors our farming and ranching heritage while moving it into the 21st century of green urban land use, green building, and use of smart technology. Well, I can say based on experience that I feel like everyone loves stepping into a greenhouse with that unique smells and that nice, humid, warm air. So I can see how a greenhouse is a wonderful setting for education, especially if the greenhouse was designed specifically for community gathering purposes. So Jackie, how did this vision for Cultivate Cochrane come about and how was the organization formed? Uh, well, you know what, I think it probably came about um, in about the second year of my running my uh, bed and breakfast. It was winter and it was a bit quiet and I was probably looking for uh, other ways to occupy my time. So I kind of got dreaming about um, something for the community. And, um, you know, I knew of, um, in our neighboring province of BC, in Invermere, there's a there's a kind of similar idea, like a passive solar community greenhouse. So I was aware of that. And that kind of entered into my thinking, I guess. Um, and then basically just kind of thinking about the, you know, the thing we're all basically wrestling with, which is, you know, how to how to create a more regionally based resilient food system. Um, and so kind of that question of how do we feed ourselves sustainably in this place and in this climate that, that we're in here in Alberta, which is um, zone three, four, four if we're lucky, you know, um, about a hundred 
frost-free days for growing. Um, and so really, you know, we're, it's like, yes, you can grow food uh, well in the summer, but for the majority of the year, we're relying on imports. Um, so, you know, it really requires some kind of season extension in my mind to, to actually viably feed ourselves more locally, right? So that's kind of where this, this greenhouse idea came in. And of course, the obvious design would be passive solar. It makes a lot of sense here, especially where we've got cool nights and um, cool shoulder season and lots of sun. So yeah, that's kind of how the vision, the general vision came about. And I approached a couple of um, friends of mine who were also involved in permaculture and whatnot. And we teamed up and then kind of took it to the next level of forming it into a, a nonprofit. And um, yeah, and, and plugged away at things from there. That's awesome. So how close is Cultivate Cochrane now to creating a greenhouse hub? Um, so yeah, I'm not currently on the board, so not completely, like I don't completely have the pulse of what, where exactly they're at, but my understanding is that, um, it's probably, this whole process takes a lot longer than of course we, you know, had hoped in the beginning, but, um, I'm guessing it's probably another year or two, like the major hurdle at this point is to find a site for it. Um, and there are some options, um. And I know that, that there, there are some meetings going on and I'm probably going to help with that as well. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a matter of um, securing a site, which we are hoping that actually the town may um, may kind of be, be able to see us as a, a facility, kind of like a library or a sports field, you know, and um, and see the value in that and, and be able to set aside a bit of municipal space for us. Um, and then, and then it'll be a big, a big fundraising endeavor. But, but um, you know, in the past couple of years here, I think we've we've built up some good credibility in the community and some good visibility. So, I don't think it'll be a stretch to um, to get the funds once we've got the site. There was a project that received some press recently, and I'm imagining that this was maybe a project that was that came about in order to raise more awareness about Cultivate Cochrane, and that is a mobile greenhouse called the Passive Solar Roller that was involved with a Seniors for Kids program. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, yeah. So this this was um, yeah exactly that. It was it. Um, was sort of this idea that came about partly because there was a federal grant that um, was funding sort of quick um, quick solutions to building community, I guess. And um, our hub was not not quite quick enough, you know, as far as a solution for for a community gathering space and learning space. But we we thought of this mobile greenhouse as a quicker little solution to to get around town and and begin some programming and, and gain visibility. So, um, so yeah, we were able to secure a grant for that. And, um, you know, it's, it's not a, it, it is a demonstration of a passive solar greenhouse, though, not, not, um, 100% of the elements, of course, because it doesn't have, you know, like a, a proper insulated foundation or anything because it's on a trailer. Um, but yeah, yeah, we've been able to bring that all around town to schools and yeah, seniors for kids is one of the groups that that we've partnered with. 
and they they kind of act as grandparents to certain students who don't have grandparents in the area. Um, and then they they often are elderly people who have lived on farms or do live on farms and still kind of have that agricultural knowledge. So just that idea of that cross generational knowledge being shared um, it, within the you know with the backdrop of this of this little greenhouse and and kind of a it's not a new technology right but it's just it's it's new to a lot of people the passive solar technology so that's kind of what's going on there and that's been yeah helping us build build credibility I think in town I think that's really inspiring for our listeners I'd love to see a a passive solar roller in our area are the, yeah, uh, yeah it's see, pretty cute driving around you know <laughs> right and so you said there's not many passive solar greenhouses in your area but i understand you have a little greenhouse on your property is it passive and does it have a climate battery uh yeah it is it is passive it does not have a climate battery because it is very tiny um it's about 100 square feet um because we just wanted to to stay under the square footage that, that would require us to get a building permit in town and uh, also didn't have a lot of space in our yard. So so it's very small. It was not going to be worth the, um, you know, like putting the climate battery technology in there. But it is passive solar and it does do, you know, it does do the trick, gets us some some tomatoes and herbs and, and whatnot and, and, you know, lets us kind of showcase that technology and try it out for ourselves. And at what point did you learn about Jerome and Crimpy and the climate battery? Oh, I feel like that's been, um, it's hard to say, but probably going back at least as far as this original idea for Cultivate Cochrane, like several years, I, I would say. And it just, you know, it just took this long to, to finally get around to actually making a visit. But, um, I had read the book, looked at the website, and and definitely gotten some tips in terms of what we might do with Cultivate Cochrane. But um, yeah, it just took took a while to actually finally make a trip. I'm so glad you did. And before we switch to talking about your experience at Crimpy, I just wanted to call out how you have a your your tiny house bed and breakfast. And Airbnb in 2022 recognized you as the top female host of the year um, based on the great reviews they got from your guests of your home, the tiny house featuring natural and reclaimed materials, an earthen floor, and a passive solar greenhouse attached. So does that mean you're a trendsetter in Cochrane? <laughs> I I am not sure. I, I, you know, we definitely don't have a lot of interesting projects going on in town you know it's a pretty um conventional sort of mindset here so it is fun to to throw something something a little more innovative out there um so I don't know we'll we'll see right if if anything catches on if anybody starts to to mimic this stuff but um it's been really nice yeah just to be able to, to have that space to invite people in and see a small footprint dwelling and um serve them food from our yard, you know, just kind of showcase what we can grow around here. And um, just, you know, just an ethic of sustainability. Um, yeah, you know, it, I, I hopefully it's setting a little bit of a trend. I love it. Well, I imagine when you're 
hosted up at Crimpy Durham, served you a lot of interesting foods from the garden. Yes, totally. Yeah, yeah. Super interesting. I was super grateful. Um, yeah, just fresh, fresh fruits and veggies constantly. It was brilliant. Because it was in October, right? Yeah, but it was still, you know, there were still plums and apples and uh, there there were radishes and greens coming out of those new beds that we built. Um, yeah, there was all kinds of fresh stuff. Yeah, you were picking a lot of apples and pears and um, processing some, pitting apricots and freezing. So uh, I've been making some pies out of some of those pears. And I made four pies the other day that really were quite good. Um, yeah, I was really impressed with your uh, your work ethics. Uh, you were up in the morning cutting fodder for the animals, and uh, um, and then we got into building the beds out of uh, recycled material and mulching them. And uh, uh, you were, I think, you were really into that. And I, it was just amazing that uh, we were able to build them from really no inputs and. Uh, and I got the idea of having you write an article about that, and uh, it came out really good. I, I really appreciate you uh, uh, taking uh, the time to do that, and uh, we'll have it published at uh, Permaculture Design Magazine, uh, the next issue, coming up very soon. That's right. Yeah. You're a great writer, Jackie, and I'll actually have you read just a short portion of the article. I was thinking maybe the first sentence and the last sentence of your article about the zero-waste, zero-dollar garden beds that you helped build at Crimpy. So if you could just read us a short segment and then tell us what were your takeaways from that project. Sure, okay. Um, First sentence is, Building several hundred square feet of ultra-fertile garden beds on a tricky slope from scratch can be a satisfying endeavor. Doing it without spending a penny brings that satisfaction to a whole new level. Mm -hmm. And the last sentence is, not only did this bed building project yield expanded food growing potential and a good workout for my back and arms, it was a tangible reminder of Bill Mollison's dictum. The only limit on the number of uses of a resource possible within a system is in the limit of the information and the imagination of the designer. Yeah, well, we were uh, just finding things as, as we went along, um, and we talked about the uh, all of the retaining uh, material was either pallets or scrap pallets or cedar siding that we had left over from the cabin project. Uh, we also had pond liner that we are able to line the insides to to make sure that it didn't break down over years, and then. Um, we were using tea stakes to stabilize things and um, uh, walked around the contours. And uh, some of them were about two to three feet deep because um, you know, everything's on a hillside there. And uh, uh, so we have a really a, a great uh, potential for you know, building a lot of soil hugaculture style. And then we planted all of it in garlic, you know, like 10 different varieties of garlic that um, we are like the first crop coming up and probably in the spring we'll put some um, some radishes and salads in there and then maybe follow up uh, 
after the garlic's harvested with some squash. So we're actually going to maybe get three. Um, and I just finished the other big hugu culture berm uh, with pallets uh, and stabilized that and filled it full of leaf mulch. And, uh, and we're carbon farming, basically, uh, just using what uh, what's available, uh, all the rabbit manure and stable cleanings and leaves and coffee grounds and all the other things that we found uh, in the community. And uh, uh, it was a really rewarding project. What will you be taking away back to Cochrane, Jackie, based on your experience and based on what you learned with the bed building? Uh, well, yeah, you know what, as Jerome said, it was really rewarding. Like it, it all came together really quickly um you know we didn't just sit around talking about it and drawing things and i don't know making materials lists or anything it just you know jerome just kind of described what he wanted and uh, and we got to work and things just happened quite quickly because the you know the materials were all on hand or or it was just sort of a quick trip into town to find leaves or or that kind of thing so yeah just seeing something go from idea to reality quite quickly um, was, was super rewarding. And um, just that, that hands-on experience kind of, it really embeds it in your, um, in your memory. Right. So I, now I, I can just think back to that. I know exactly how to, how to layer on the, the materials and make a, a good fertile bed. Um, and then just, yeah, just kind of um, Jerome's perspective, rubs off on you of, of seeing everything as a potential uh, resource, you know, um, within, within the community, uh, as you're driving along, uh, within, within the Permaculture Institute uh, land, just every, everything is a resource and, um, and nothing's going to waste. So that was a, that was something I definitely took home and, um, you know, as soon as I got home and looked at my little greenhouse, I realized I, I could get some leaf mulch on this right now. Yeah. Um, and I did. So, <laughs> so yeah, uh, lots of, yeah, lots of stuff to take home. Yeah, we would just go out into the woods and get, you know, the wood we needed. Um, there was a big pile of what I think is, uh, you know, some firewood that I may use eventually, but it, the pile's been there for five, ten years, and I... I just keep going in there and finding stuff I can use to build. Um, I can build nests for uh, for the pigeons. I can go. We found stakes. We found just just about everything we needed in that pile. And um, uh, one of uh, Mollison's uh, uh, phrases was "bush carpentry." So uh, you know you don't really need any fancy tools or fancy materials to build things. And usually you find them within you know twenty or thirty feet of your work site and um, that's kind of the MO that we followed through the whole project and, and that's kind of how we, what we do when we're doing anything at Crimpy. Yeah. And one of Jerome's phrases is stream of consciousness gardening. Exactly, yes, yes. And uh, yeah, that, um, and you know, I'm, I'm dyslexic so uh, I, I operate under a completely different mode of, uh, of how things, how I see things, how I see projects and they're all designed uh, way before I start doing them, and, and I know where all the materials are. I know, you know, what the options are, and so. It, uh, and it's kind of a fun way to uh, to 
to operate. And Matt, did you want to reflect on the waste streams and your perspectives as a landscape architect? Um, I just think it's amazing what has been done with pulling things out of the public waste stream and making soil and doing carbon farming and worm farming and using uh, materials that would end up in a landfill and actually doing something extremely productive with them. Um, that, I think, is just a lesson in and of itself. The simplicity of it is, is, is perfect. Great. Well, our listeners can look f- out for the next Permaculture Design magazine to read Jackie's current article about the zero-cost, zero-dollar garden beds, zero-waste, zero-dollar garden beds. And I hear that Jerome and Jackie might be collaborating on an up- another upcoming article, this time talking about animals in permaculture and the opportunity to utilize heirloom breeds as well as nuisance species, such as pigeons and rabbits for a sustainable and regenerative food market. So Jerome or Jackie, do you have any previews or resources for our listeners who are eager to learn more about this topic? Well, I've been uh, thinking about this for a long time, is that uh, invasive species are such an opportunity that we don't take advantage of all over the world. Australia is a good example where there are dozens of invasive species and they're finally leaking up um, and in the Midwest, we have, uh, you know, nine species of carp that are uh, invasive in, in the lakes and the, and the rivers. And, and they're, you know, trying to figure out what to do with those because uh, if they ever get into the Great Lakes, it's, it's the end of their fishing up there. But um, a few people are, you know, harvesting them and sending them to China, but and other people are using them in restaurants and trying to promote. But uh, pigeons... Uh, I've always raised pigeons off off and on through my life, and um, um, they are, they have some real unique opportunities. In France, they are staple food. Uh, they have these huge lofts where pigeons just free range, and and they harvest them for the restaurants. And um, so I actually caught a bunch of pigeons and uh, from the Parker barns, and um, I'm I'm up to about uh, you know twenty or so and uh, breeding those and for, for meat and also for manure. And uh, I just got a call from Rock Bottom, and they want to get rid of 40 pigeons. They are, they were becoming a nuisance now, eating all their chicken food. And so I'm going to you know, be a major pigeon grower here <laughs> pretty soon. And my, my rabbits, uh, the colony rabbits, have been going on for years now. And, and uh, that's always a really fun thing to do is raising uh colony rabbits, you know, and they're good for meat and, and manure. It's amazing how much uh, organic matter you get from their from their litter. Jackie, are there any invasive or nuisance species in Alberta? Uh, you know, I'm trying to think, like, right here in Cochrane, we actually have, like, urban deer, which <laughs> it would definitely not be a popular idea to... <laughs> to all them for meat, but you know, there they are, um, actually eating people's gardens and, and being a nuisance. Um, I know, uh, a town just west of us had a real problem with rabbits and they called them, but I don't believe they, they saved them for meat. So that would have been an opportunity. Um, and yeah, I, I wonder, I, I haven't looked into whether, you know, pigeons would be appropriate up here either, uh, or as well, but, um, I, I will be looking into this as part of writing this article. I'm going to be taking 
Jerome's thoughts and his expertise and then and then hopefully doing a little bit of little bit of looking into some of these other examples that that he's given I think it's a really important um thing to be talking about actually when it you know when we've sort of got unsustainable and inhumane ways of raising meat and then we've got the rise of you know lab meat and mm-hmm. those types of proteins going on so I think yeah looking at how do we how do we use what's what's already abundant and you know resilient and sustainable right. uh, is a big conversation yeah. well I think you have to look into the unique breeds and, and different animals I'm, I'm thinking of building a barn um, or an animal structure out of pallets and doing straw clay and uh, maybe a living roof um, and then have three, three or four different uh, heirloom breeds, uh, ducks, chickens, uh, pigeons, uh, maybe quail, pheasants, uh, and turkeys. And uh, you know, there's a special breed of chicken that I want to get back into. It's called Silver Spangle Homburg, and, and it's half pheasant and half chicken. So it's, it has a unique uh, foraging uh, abilities, and it's dark meat, and uh, so it's just unique in that respect. That's uh, uh, try something different that um, that might have some good marketing potential. Well, not around here, but in the front range, prairie dogs are a real nuisance, and they end up having to cull a lot of them when they're doing new land development. So that's a species that needs to get upcycled. Yeah, they're good eating, too. Are they? Yeah, sure they are. (laughs) They're like a rabbit. (laughs) All right. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Do you have any closing thoughts before we end this program? Uh, I don't think I have anything to add. Just... um yeah, just my gratitude to Jerome for uh, for hosting me, and it was a good exchange, my labor in exchange for um, soaking up his years of experience. Yeah, and thank, thanks to you for having me on today. Our pleasure. Well, our listeners can get in touch with Jackie at hereaboutsbnb at gmail.com, <laughs> and our listeners can learn more about Cultivate Cochrane by visiting cultivatecochrane.com. You can look out for Jackie's article in the upcoming issue of Permaculture Design Magazine. You can also find permaculture resources and magazine subscription information at permaculturedesignmagazine.com. Thank you to our listeners for joining us today. Once again, I'm your host, Vanessa Harmony of Colorado Edible Forest in Glenwood Springs. You can find my contact info at www.coloradoedibleforest.com. My co-host is Jerome Osentowski of Central Rocky Mountain Permaculture Institute in Basalt. And you can get in touch with Jerome and Crimpy by visiting crmpi.org, by emailing jerome at crmpi.org, or by calling 970-456-3480. Tune in next month on KDNK on the third Monday of January at 4 p.m. for another episode of Living Permaculture, which will be a continuation of this episode. We'll talk to you then. Ah, 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 ah,